Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Was blind, but now I see. I can see him now. I can see the love in his eyes. And it's what we're talking about uh, for the next few weeks, what we started last week about seeing more of Jesus. Can you see him? Could uh, those who were those who were being um, told of his coming, could they see him? We have some uh, youth out, out of town this weekend, up in, uh, or down in Ohio at their uh, youth conference, the pursuit conference they call it, to see more of Jesus, to learn to see him more. They surprised me yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, we had been here painting, and I was home, standing in my kitchen, my paint clothes still on. I, I put something in the microwave, and when I put something in the microwave, I just put it and I hit a button. I don't know what button I ever push, I just push a button. And then I figure I'll just stand there until whatever, a minute goes by, and I'll open it. While my phone rang, and I reach in my pocket, and it's this FaceTime call. And there's a strange number, and I thought, ah, really, do I want to take a FaceTime call from a stranger? I shouldn't take the risk. It's probably going to be a mistake. But I thought, oh, well, you never know. So I said, okay, maybe I'll FaceTime this stranger, say hello. And I hit the button, and suddenly there were all these faces on my phone, and it was the uh, students from the youth conference, and they stunned me. I, I, I at first was confused. Uh, who they were, why they were calling me, and it had to sink in for a minute. And so they let me be part of their little conference for a minute. It was, it was really fun. They're having a great time. So I just want to let you know, if you have students down in Ohio, they're having an excellent time. They're enjoying themselves. They are learning to see more of Jesus. So it's really wonderful, and I'm looking forward to them getting back. They were enthused. I talked to them so long that, uh, yeah, I had this, like, uh, cardboard in the microwave when I was done. <laughs> so... Uh, I had to start over, but it was, it was really nice to hear from them, and I'm glad that they included me. They're having a great time, and I was here, as I said, working on our project. I just want you to know it's come along great. Thanks for all the help from everyone, and thanks for the great hearts. I know some have said you wanted to be here, but you couldn't, and appreciate your thoughts. Uh, we have primer on the wall. It's not the final color, so uh, don't fall in love with those colors just yet, because next week... We are going to put the, the top coats on, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to our time of prayer. It'll be an interesting prayer meeting next week because we'll pray in our dining room before we get out and start our work. Good things are happening. And I am, I'm just thrilled. I'm really up. There is good things happening. And when I think about that and how really it's been so great to see so many of you out and behind your church it reminds, me of a, it reminds me of a song, I'll say. Julie and I were talking a little bit this week, and she was talking about how memories are so interesting, and we can forget so many things, but then there's these memories that are marked in our mind, indelible. So I have one of these memories about good things happening. When uh, I would drive my kids to school, and this goes back now well over 15 years ago, 
they would have spirit week. And we'd come to school an hour later. And at that time, Pastor James Beal's radio program would start. And I never really listened to the radio in the car, but my, my girls would say, turn the radio on. We want to hear Brother Jim's song because he started his program with a song that went, I feel like something good is about to happen. Uh, I think it's uh, Heritage Singers or something. I feel like something good is about to happen. I feel like something good is on its way. You know? And brother, it could happen any day, the song went on. So my kids, I don't know why, they, they just, they loved it. It was sort of a little tradition for Spirit Week. Hey, let's listen to that song. And it was really uplifting. It's great to think something good is going to happen. But what about when you know something good is going to happen? What about when you are absolutely 100% sure that something good is about to happen? You want to announce it, don't you? You get excited about it. You want to tell others. And uh, it, it's something that you want to share. Now, I can think of examples about that where it, when it's not, it's not just a feeling. You know it. Everyone else might be in the dark. They might have an inkling. Something great's going to happen. But you know it for sure. I, I think of examples of maybe when a child is born. I think about when uh, my own children were born. It was a great event. It was an announcement I wanted to make. Now, believe it or not, I know this is going to mark me and date me. When my children were born, this was a time when phones were attached to the wall and they were tethered with wires. So we couldn't make these instantaneous digital announcements to the entire world. There was actually some excitement to making the announcement. And I remember you know, making some calls after my girls were born. Hey, got a girl. What's her name? I don't know yet. We're still working on that. How much did she weigh? You know, I'd have all the stats, the, the length, the, the weight. Uh, I wanted to announce those births. And I remember going to the office to announce this great, great news that I had. And of course, I knew it was coming. Certain of my closer associates knew it was coming, but others didn't. And I'd come with a full box of chocolate cigars, right? So that I could pass them around. And so my closest coworkers, hey, they'd be asking the same questions others would ask, what's her name? Okay, we've got names now, and I've got weights and all of the stats, but other people, I'd walk through the building. I didn't know them that well, but hey, have some chocolate. It's a girl. I'm excited. I want to announce this. I want to tell you I've added to my family. And it's a great, great announcement. And I want to talk about some great announcements this morning, or at least one great announcement. We know of a great announcement that came in history. We're all familiar with it. We talk about it during the Christmas season when the angels appeared to the shepherds, and they were announcing a birth too, right? The birth of Jesus Christ for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It was the greatest birth announcement ever. And this morning, as we approach the Lenten season, I want to talk to you about another 
announcement. I want to consider another great announcement in history, and that is the announcement of Jesus Christ as he stepped into his ministry. This is Jesus as an adult, and so significant was this announcement that it was spoken of by prophets in the Old Testament. They wanted people to be aware of it. They wanted people to anticipate. Do you see it coming? And not only was the announcement prophesied, but the announcer was prophesied. And that must mean it's really something. It's really something that, that there would be an announcement not only of, or, or a prophecy not only of the announcement, but the person that was going to make that announcement. So I want to look at a couple of those prophecies in the Old Testament. And, and this morning, I've got a, a fair number of scriptures. I know you probably are... Uh, more accustomed to me, mainly having one or two, but I've got several this morning, so they'll be on the screen so you can follow along. But the first one, the first one from the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, a prophecy of the announcement and the announcer. And Malachi Malachi said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So God's sending a messenger to prepare the way for the Lord you are seeking will come. The the announcer is going to prepare the way And the announcement is going to be that the Lord will be in the temple. Second prophecy is from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. And Isaiah gives a very similar message. But he adds more detail. Isaiah says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So again, something great was coming. And there was someone that was going to precede it Someone with a voice. Isaiah, some 750 years before Jesus Christ came on the scene, predicted a voice crying out, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And Malachi, Malachi, that last and that final prophet, he gave a word from God. I will send my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord will be in his temple. Why all the fanfare? Why was this need for a prophet to even be prophesied? Why the need for the announcer or the messenger to be foretold? Well, after Malachi, that final prophet, the light was going to go dim in Israel. The voice of the Lord was going to go silent. And the people were going to begin to move further and further away from God. They were going to be in need of a prophet. They were going to be in need of someone to motivate them and urge them back to God. Someone to say, turn, 
Turn from your way and come back to the Lord. This is the work of a prophet after all. When Joshua in the Old Testament confronted the people about which way they should go, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Joshua was successful in motivating the people. When Elijah dealt with the false prophets of Baal, and he prayed for the people to turn their hearts back to God. The people witnessed the fire of God falling down on a sacrifice that Elijah had prepared, and even though it was drenched with water three times, the fire consumed the sacrifice. So it wasn't only the prophet that motivated the people, but the fire of God. And when the people witnessed that fire, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they turned back to God. When Jonah brought the word of the Lord to Nineveh, his word was hard and it was harsh. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But the Ninevites turned. The Ninevites believed this word from God. And they proclaimed a fast. And the people repented, and God blessed them, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So these prophets have a purpose. The prophets of old, they were oracles of God to the people to keep the people on track, to turn them back. If they had gotten off track, to turn them back onto the right path. But after Malachi, prophets went silent. The word of the Lord went quiet. No more prophets calling out to the people. But then one day, then one day, 400 or so years after Malachi, an angel appears to a priest named Zechariah who was working in the temple. Zechariah was an old man, a childless man, and his wife was beyond childbearing years. But the angel said, Zechariah, you are going to have a son. And he's going to be a delight. And the angel said some other things about this boy that was supposed to be born to Zechariah. And I want to just read you a few of the things the angel said. It's in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17. I'm sorry, Luke 1. He says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah didn't believe it. He didn't understand it. He didn't catch that last line of the angel that his son was this person that was prophesied by Malachi and Isaiah to be the one to make ready a people for the Lord. And Zechariah in his disbelief was dumbfounded. He was rendered mute. He couldn't talk. But all the people at the temple, they saw how animated he was and they realized Zechariah had seen a vision. And indeed, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, did become pregnant. And they had a son, and they named him John. And as the angel had said, and as the prophet Isaiah had said, and as the prophet Malachi had said, John was the one who was going to make ready the people. After 400 years, 
a prophet was now born in Israel. And after he grew and his time came, he went out to prepare the people. And John began to preach. And this is what he preached. In Matthew 3, verse 2, we read, John preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now many begin to listen. Many begin to listen to John and believe him, and they were baptized, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people begin to think in their hearts, who is this? Is this the Savior? Is this our Messiah? Is this the promised one? The leaders of the Jews, they wondered too about John. Who is this man? So they sent priests to ask John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Now perhaps these priests, perhaps they had remembered old Zechariah who had been dumbfounded and rendered mute. Perhaps they remembered that guy had some kind of vision about his son, didn't he? Maybe they thought, this is the one. He was sent from God. So they sent these priests to ask John, are you him? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior talked about by the prophets of old? But John said very straightforward, no, no, I am not. And they asked him, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? And by this, they meant, are you the Savior? Because Moses had said years, thousands of years before, he said, there's going to come a prophet like me. So this idea of the prophet, this is the Savior, the one that was chosen by God to save Israel. So they're asking John this, are you the prophet? John had come with such boldness and he had come with such authority that they suspected this, that he was the one. And he plainly said, no. But the priest persisted. Who are you? Who are you? We need to know. We've been sent by these leaders and we need to take answers back. We're not going to go without an answer. Well, then John answered. And I like the way that the Gospel of John records it. In John chapter 1, verse 23, John replies to these that were sent by the leaders of the Jews, these priests. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And now we see, now we see a reason for for Isaiah's prophecy and Malachi's prophecy, there was to be no confusion. John was just a messenger. John was a servant. He was the announcer. He was the announcer. I want you to see Jesus. And he was announcing something far better. He claimed fulfillment of being the messenger only. And he went on to say this, Recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was humble, and he knew his mission. He knew his mission was to point to Jesus Christ. 
He didn't even want to admit to being a prophet, let alone being the prophet. And yet Jesus called John a prophet. Later in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus is recorded as saying exactly that. John was a prophet. And he said, there wasn't any greater than John. That's Jesus' words. There's none greater than him. And what is a prophet? What is a prophet after all? And I want to take just a minute to talk about that. The people at that time, they had a, a clear view of what a prophet was, and it's not so much the modern and I would say somewhat distorted notion that a prophet is only the foreteller of future events. Prediction is not the rude idea of biblical prophecy. And much of the benefit in Scripture, sometimes it's, it's muddled, it's lost when we consider the prophet chiefly as a foreteller of the future. Because the, the prophet was there to do so much more to, to motivate and to lift up. In Hebrew, there is a word, and the word is navi, and that's the word for prophet. It's the word for an announcer. And the root of that is navah, and that means to prophesy. And that word has a connotation about it that means bubbling up. Bubbling up, to pour forth abundantly. And we have a picture from this word navah. We have a picture of an effervescent upspring of, of a flowing fountain, a pouring out of God's word, if you will. And John was that prophet. He was a prophet that was like a flowing fountain. And he was letting this announcement of the way of the Lord pour out from him. And he was saying, people, get right. Get right for the Lord. He is here. Make your path straight. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins and be baptized to mark that repentance. And John preached, you need to show fruit of the repentance. And if you have two shirts, you should share one with someone who has none. And if you have more food than you need, you should share it with the poor. And if you're a tax collector and uh, you collect more than you should, stop it. And only collect what you're supposed to. And you soldiers, you who are in authority, do not abuse your authority. Do not extort from those who are under your authority. John was pouring out the word of God. He was pouring out, get ready. He was this, this fountain that was overflowing with the word of God. And he brought a quenching to the people, not only in, in, in a spiritual sense, but in a real literal sense too, because he was baptizing them in water. A people who had been dry for 400 years and had not the word of the prophet. He brought the water of the word of God. Prepare, prepare for who's coming. Prepare for Jesus. And in comparison to what was to come, considering what John was announcing, if John was, if John was this effervescent, overflowing spring compared to Jesus, he was just a dribble. He was just a drop of water. Compared to what Jesus was going to bring, John was hardly moistening the situation. Have you heard about What's going on in Northern California? Have, have you heard about this dam that they've been having trouble with? The tallest dam in our country, 770 feet tall, the Lake Orville Dam in Northern California? 
188,000 people have, to, have been evacuated because they, they were fearing that the dam might burst. And when a dam bursts, look out because that water is powerful and it's fast. And now compared to the to, to what John was bringing, compared to the drink that John was bringing, when Jesus came, it was like the dam had burst. Jesus was the prophet. He was the prophet. What poured out of Jesus? What was effervescing out of Jesus? What came up out of Christ? But living water. He is a fountain of living water. He is a flowing fountain which covers a dry and a dusty land. He was overflowing wellspring of salvation. He brought, Jesus brought and he continues to bring satisfaction to all of humanity. He can quicken the human race to eternal life. And now what's that but the greatest drink we could possibly have? It's no accident that Jesus began his ministry with the very same words of the man who announced him. If John was bubbling up the word of God, Jesus grabbed hold of it and continued it. He started from what John brought, and he said exactly the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. After Jesus had fasted in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil and he stepped into his ministry, we read in Matthew chapter 4, this is verse 17, from that time on, after Jesus come out of the wilderness, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The people had heard that before. They had heard that from the the prophet John the Baptist, who had come to make way for Jesus. And Jesus picked up where John left off. And he preached these two things, repent and the kingdom. Now, repentance we've talked about many, many times. Repentance is a total change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of lifestyle. Turning around, turning from the world and turning from sin toward God and toward holiness. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the core of the New Testament to turn without grieving sin, without grieving what you're doing to offend God and turning from that sin to Jesus. There is no entrance into the kingdom. Repentance is the first step. It is the first step in our faith journey. It's a first step of faith in Christ. And so it was that Jesus began his ministry with that same cry as John the Baptist, repent. But what did John and what did Jesus mean when they followed up? And they said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, it was Jesus. God sent his son into the world. The people couldn't get any closer to the kingdom of heaven than having the king in their midst. And we can't get any closer. We can't get any closer to the kingdom than having the king in our midst. The king, Jesus Christ, is in our midst. The kingdom of heaven has come near. We who have Jesus in, in our midst, we who have Jesus in our life, we're likened unto John the Baptist. Jesus said there is none greater than John. But he went on to say, Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And that's a curious statement. How can we, 
who aren't like John the Baptist. And our parents weren't selected. And angels didn't appear to them. How is it that we could be greater than John? Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. All of us in Christ, all of us in Christ have something to say about his coming. All of us, in a sense, can be like John the Baptist, to be messengers of Jesus Christ. Now, you've received his salvation. Can't you announce his salvation to others? Can we not be messengers for Jesus Christ, to proclaim the highway of the Lord, to make the way straight? We're called to see Jesus as clearly as John saw Jesus and say, there he is. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see him? We're called to tell people that. We're called to show people Jesus Christ. We're called to pour forth the water of life, to be wellsprings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in this way all of us can be prophets of the Most High God, not to predict the future, not to foretell some secret event that's to come, no, but to share this effervescent spring of life-giving water that's found only in the salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross where he gave his life for all of humanity. He gave his life for sin. You know, we don't baptize in water for repentance. No, we baptize into Christ. We baptize people into Christ, into, in, in, into his death and into his burial. And when one comes out of the water of baptism, we say they walk in eternal life. May we all make it our commitment. May all of us make it our commitment to share that life-giving water of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. You know, there are souls in our midst. There are souls in our lives. There are souls that are connected to us that are in the wilderness. They're dry and they're dusty. They're parched. You know them. You know who they are. They need to hear about repentance. They need to hear about the remission of sin. You know your neighbor. He's dry and he's thirsty. You know that coworker of yours. He's withered and he's parched in his soul. What about that fellow student that's in your study group? She's dehydrated. She needs a drink from the living fountain. All of them, they're dry and they're dusty and they're in this wilderness. And you are standing before the dam called Jesus Christ. Open the gates of the water of life and let it flow. And tell them about Jesus Christ and what he can do to save their souls. Open that gate and share what you have. Show them what you have seen. We heard it sung earlier. I see the love of Jesus Christ. Share with them, saturate them with the love of Jesus Christ. Share with them the hope of your salvation. Show them that the kingdom of heaven is near because Jesus is near. And not only is he near, but he's here. He is right here, right now. And I want to say if you're in this room this morning and your soul is in that wilderness, your soul is in that place of dryness, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can be quenched. Today is the day that you can be renewed. Hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Repent and turn to Jesus. Last evening, I heard a story of a man who tried his hardest to live 
to live his own way. And he was in a wilderness. He was in a wilderness and he was dry. He tried every philosophy book. He said, I tried them all. He tried every book on atheism, trying to find his way. And then he picked up a book. He picked up a book that had been laying on a shelf for 18 years. And he dusted it off. And he opened up that book. And it was the only book, the only book that could bring change to his life. And it was the only book where he found satisfaction for his dry and his thirsty soul. It was a dusty old Bible. And he picked it up and he read Matthew's Gospel. He read in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you'll find rest for your soul. He found refreshment. He found renewal. He found rest for his soul by turning from his own ways to the ways of Jesus. And his life was forever changed. This was a Muslim man. He was living in Iraq. His name was Salim Muhammad. And he found so much hope. And he found so much peace. When he turned to Jesus and his life was changed, that when those who heard of his change and his salvation came to his house and threatened his life, and threaten the life of his family, he said, I will leave my country. I will leave my homeland. But I will never leave Christ. I will never leave Christ. He is my life. Have you decided to follow Jesus this morning? If you do, there's no turning back because it's so much better than your own way. It's so much better. It's refreshing. It's life. It's life to the full. It's refreshment. That same Jesus can change your life today. I want to invite you to stand as we close our service. And I want to say, if there's any in this room, if you need that, don't leave today. Don't leave without taking a drink from the only, from the only fountain that can satisfy you. If you've been looking, if you've been looking like the Muslim man, Salim Muhammad, was looking, if you've tried philosophy books and you tried your own way, it's not going to work. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. And I want you to see him this morning. I want you to see him clearly. If the Lord's tugging on your heart and you know it, I want to invite you to step out of your place and come, come right down to these altars. There's no fear in it. We'll pray with you. The kingdom of heaven is near and you can take part in it. It's a glorious thing. It's a happy thing. It's a great thing. I'd love to announce it. I'd love to walk out of here today and say there was one who gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ this morning and turned around. It's a great announcement to make.